Hello and good morning. It's Monday, the 11th of June, 2018. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. Welcome back to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the first and only regularly updated podcast. Well, usually, anyway, sorry about last week. If you'll notice, I rolled out just one episode, but I promise we're back to the usual two or even three per week starting right now. The only regularly updated podcast in the world dedicated entirely to autonomous cars. Today, episode 37, I think, um, we wonder how police will pull over an autonomous car, we ponder ways to make autonomous cars socially acceptable, and Tesla announces full self-driving features coming in August. All this, right now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so to kick things off today, we're going to talk about the oft-mentioned and certainly alluded to uh, issue that we've discussed now and then in the past, what law enforcement will look like in a world of autonomous cars. Now, obviously, if you've got human drivers, not really drivers, but who are otherwise still able to take over the car, so we're sort of assuming vehicles that still have the antiquated steering wheel and go and stop pedals, as it were. Um, Obviously, they'll still be able to presumably take over and uh, indeed pull over if and when they see the lights and blaring noises of the law behind them. But we have to imagine a future not too far removed from now when, indeed, fully autonomous cars will not have a steering wheel, let alone pedals, and the drivers aren't, in fact, drivers, but really mere passengers, or indeed, The cars themselves could be totally empty, as we've discussed before, certainly just sort of shuttling about to do errands, pick up groceries, uh, cargo generally, including and especially that of commercial trucks. And so then the question becomes a bit weird. I mean, how will law enforcement pull over truly driverless vehicles? Um, You know, what will be the signals? How will the cars react? sort of cutting ahead to the chase for the moment, I think we can all assume there will be some sort of over-the-year car-to-car connectivity with which the police can, in fact, interact directly with the cars. But then the question becomes, well, not just practical, but very, very legal. And for those of you who may have missed my uh, pilot episode some four months ago, um, as a reminder, I am actually a California licensed attorney. And so for me, anyway, this raises some really interesting, and I say interesting, I mean very sticky questions, because... um, well, we're just going to dive into those one after the other here. There's a, there's a lot to kind of discuss. I'll try to give a brief overview because I kind of feel that this discussion warrants really an entire episode unto itself. But uh, let's dive in and see what's up here. All right, so there's really two points I want to discuss about this. The first point is the practical matter of how police will actually pull over autonomous cars. The second point is going to focus on the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution, for those of you outside of the U.S. This is our... Amendment, which uh, protects against unreasonable search and seizure, um, and especially the expectation of privacy. 
this, of course, a big issue uh, when the police pull people over, you know, whether they can search your trunk, the passenger compartment, and so on. So, all right, let's dive into the first point first. I think this will be relatively straightforward, but nevertheless, it's worth discussing. Um, so again, as I mentioned uh, briefly to open this segment, um, look, if there are human drivers in the car, of course, they will just pull over uh, if the car still has human controls, um, or I guess if it doesn't, then they can sort of, I don't know, push a button, cause the car to pull over, as it were. Um, but the real big question here is what's going to happen uh, for cars that have no human controls at all, uh, or in fact are devoid of any human drivers. Um, so really there's one clear-cut solution here, and that is indeed for the police to have over-the-air, that is car-to-car, uh, connectivity as between the police car and the, the 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 autonomous car. So there have been a lot of discussions and a lot of work done, even with contemporary cars today. Uh, there's been a huge interest in doing whatever is possible to avoid high speed police chases. Of course, these are very very dangerous, not just to the um, you know to the uh, to the public around, to the innocent public around, but also of course to the the driver of the fleeing vehicle, and frankly, to the police themselves too. So there have been a lot of discussions. You know, you may have heard over the years some application of essentially a microwave stun gun, which basically shorts out the electronics of the car, brings it to a stop, and so on. But this is all, of course, very sort of old-fashioned, rudimentary stuff. Going forward with proper car-to-car communication, there's no reason to presume that the police won't be able to just sort of I mean, I don't want to use the word hack because that implies a nefarious purpose, but rather they will have access to the car so they can then effectively shut it down. Um, I think the proper and safe way to do this is to simply cause the autonomous car to immediately and safely pull over to the side of the road, and that's the end of it. I I don't really foresee too many issues. Um, the, the There was an article I read about the silver at 2025 AD, the um, concern being that this could open sort of potential gateways to hacking generally, just by virtue of the fact that car-to-car inherently requires an open connection. Also, it makes the interesting distinction that such um, connectivity will need to presumably go through satellite so as to ensure constant connectivity rather than through mobile networks. Um, I don't know about this yet. I haven't done enough research. That said, the article is written by a professor of law in Germany, um, so clearly he knows more about this than I do at this moment, but... I think the important takeaway is that several factors will need to be satisfied. Number one, that there is a constant or at least almost constant connection between police and the autonomous cars. Number two, that such connection is indeed fully hack-proof, or at least as much as the state of the art will allow. So I'm thinking, you know, obviously encrypted connections both ways, um, unique access keys both ways, so on and so forth. Um, This is something that's going to have to be very, very carefully thought out. In other words, how do you ensure that the right people have access to the car to control it while ensuring essentially 100% you know, certainty that nobody else can gain such control? So I think that's how that's going to work with the police. Um, the issue is sort of making sure it works correctly. Now, as for the second point, the legal element. Yeah, so I think this question of whether the Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution applies, or maybe not whether it applies, but rather how it's going to apply to the 
idea of autonomous cars being stopped by police. I think this is a really fascinating discussion and indeed a fascinating legal question to ponder. And frankly, it's one that I've not heard or read about anywhere. And so as an aside, an open request to all of you listening to this to this episode right now, if you happen to know anything about this, if you've got any good links to articles on point, please send them my way because I'm really fascinated to read them. Um, so just a quick background on the Fourth Amendment for those of you here in the States with me who would like a refresher, for those of you outside the United States who may not be familiar, let me quickly read to you the actual uh, language as quoted from the Constitution. It states that the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated and no warrants shall issue but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. So in really plain English, um, basically what this is saying is, look, we want people of the United States to be reasonably secure and, uh, you know, make sure that they have an expectation of privacy that is respected. Um, obviously, exceptions to this might be where law enforcement have probable cause that crime is afoot, as we say. Um, the, the, the point being that, you know, if you're in your home, if you're in your car, if you're in a place which, you know, in which you, as a, as a human, just rationally, you have a, an expectation of privacy, we, we want to make sure that <clears throat> that expectation is satisfied. So, um, you know, this, a police, for example, can't just sort of barge into your house with no reason. The two obvious exceptions are if they've indeed obtained a search warrant, which is particularly referencing that home and the reason for which it is to be searched. Um, or, for example, if the you know, in some sort of uh, exigent circumstances, the police need to chase you into your house because an active crime is underway and they, they can see and know with certainty that this is the case. With the case of pulling over cars, um, you know, they can't search your trunk or even the passenger compartment for anything uh, unless, of course, there's obvious contraband in the passenger compartment in plain view. The trunk, of course, can be searched um, only if they have reasonable, reasonable suspicion um, that indeed there is something in the trunk which needs to be checked. So, so the point being that in general, we would like to sort of exercise these, these protections of one's reasonable expectation against search and seizure of property and, of course, one's expectation of privacy generally. So that's sort of a quick background um, on the Fourth Amendment. The question then becomes whether, or at least the degree to which or how the Fourth Amendment is to be interpreted with respect to autonomous cars. So I think it's, I think it's kind of trivial the, you know, how this will be answered if there is a human occupant in the car. For me, though, the really big fascinating question is what happens to an autonomous car when there is no human in the car at all, right? So remember, these cars will likely be driving around doing errands, picking up goods, um, and, and by the way, I guess to the point of humans in the car, they could be picking up other passengers. So you might not even be the owner of the cars in the cars. So, so again, th these are really interesting questions is what happens if a police pulls over um, one of these autonomous cars? Two cases, I think, really to look at. Case number one, um, there are no humans in the car at all, just cargo. Case number two, there are humans in the car, none of whom are the owner of the car. They are 
simple passengers. I think the second case I'll tackle first very briefly. I think we can apply the same sort of logic as we might apply to a guest in a home. And as you might know, guests in homes have a reasonable expectation of privacy in their own room in the house. Guests in a hotel, guests in an Airbnb, they have reasonable expectations of privacy in those places as well. Uh, they don't necessarily have expectations of privacy in, say, the common areas of these places. So if you're a guest in somebody's house, you probably don't have expectation of privacy inside the living room, say. So I think the second case, autonomous cars with passengers, I think that's not too tricky a thing to sort out. But let's get back now to what I think is the really fascinating million-dollar question. Autonomous car, no humans at all, just cargo. Um, so imagine... You know, just a very clear-cut example here. Autonomous car driving along, obviously not breaking any rules because, of course, it isn't. For whatever reason, somehow, um, something is off. Don't know what. And police decide to pull over this car, which, again, is totally devoid of humans. Looking inside the passenger compartment, there is nothing in plain view. So there's no reason to, um, to search the interior cabin of the car. For whatever reason, they have reasonable suspicion, uh, or indeed probable cause that there is, say, a couple kilos worth of cocaine in the trunk of the car. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess the question, I, I think I just sort of skipped ahead. I got ahead of myself. I mean, I guess the first question is, do they even need to have any sort of reasonable suspicion, let alone probable cause to go to the trunk if in fact there's no human in the car? I mean, again, just totally thinking out loud, I guess the easy answer is, well, of course, the Fourth Amendment should still apply. This is still, you know, this car presumably still belongs to a human somewhere. Um, and presumably then, because it belongs to that human, they're still going to have an expectation of privacy. But my understanding, as I recall, is that that protection of privacy uh, really amounts to the person themselves, not so much to their belonging. Well, that's not true, actually. I take that back because we know that, um, you know, again, a cop can't just sort of enter your house and search it without a warrant. So, so actually, yeah, I take that back. Um, I think it's very safe to say that in the absence of a human in the car, absolutely the Fourth Amendment protection should apply. And I think I've just answered my own question here. This may not be such a complex thing after all. And I realize I'm totally thinking out loud. I, I think I should probably apologize. As you know, this is not usually how I pre prepare to do these episodes at all. Um, but, but I think it's a really fascinating discussion. So let's just leave it at that for now. I think that Fourth Amendment protections should apply to autonomous cars, even in the absence of any humans at all. Um, and I think the analogy to that is the way in which Fourth Amendment protections apply even to somebody's home even in the absence of any humans actually currently inside the home. So, okay, going to leave it at that. Please give me some thoughts and feedback. Let me know what you think. I think it's a really awesome thing to consider and discuss. Uh, so let me know what you think. All right, so this episode has, again, gone far too long. So I think we'll probably leave the third segment for our next episode. So let me quickly run through this second part here, the notion of... Uh, humanizing autonomous cars. Um, there was uh, yet another fascinating article I stumbled across over at 2025 AD 
the notion that in order to make autonomous cars more sort of accepting to society, it's actually important to make them less human. Now, for those of you who listened a few episodes back, I think there's a bit of a, uh, I think there's differences in how one might interpret the phrase less human. So we discussed uh, a few weeks ago uh, Drive.ai. They were the autonomous car company testing vehicles in um, in Arizona, I guess. No, sorry, in Texas. Um, and their autonomous cars, the bright orange vans, sort of, they, they made a point to, well, as they would say it, to sort of humanize them by putting um, LED displays around the car that can communicate, uh, especially to pedestrians, right? So um, as an aside, the idea was that, you know, as a pedestrian, you're expected to look, you know, make eye contact with the driver before crossing the street. Um, well, how do you make eye contact with the driver, which is, well, not in the car? Uh, so obviously here the idea would be that the car would communicate to you, hey, look, I see you, please go ahead and cross kind of a thing. Um, this discussion, though, was considering the notion that, you know, it's important to make autonomous cars, truly driverless autonomous cars, actually less human. Um, the analogy was the, 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 the notion of the so-called uncanny valley. So for those of you into movies and special effects and, frankly, even video games, there's this notion that we humans are really good at um, not only tolerating but indeed accepting and enjoying um, cartoon figures, uh, representations of humans. And we're okay and indeed enjoy these up to a certain point. So once they start to get too human, our pleasure just sort of drops off a cliff. And instead of being enjoyable, they end up looking downright freaky. And so it turns out it's because, well, a cartoon figure our brain sort of interprets as very obviously not human. It's very clearly a cartoon. But as you get more and more human-looking, there's a point at which our brain sort of gets confused and says, well, this, this, this appears to be human, but wait, no, it isn't quite human. It isn't quite right. It's very, very subtly just off, and it's a very disturbing thing for us to accept. And so this is the uncanny valley, and I think one of the best pop culture examples of this really was um, uh, the, 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 the animated Christmas film, um, and now I'm forgetting the name of it. It was with Tom Hanks, but... Um, Many of you may have seen it. It was, at the time, really, um, you know, groundbreaking animation technologies, but it just looked too real while ultimately falling flat, and it just failed. And so the result was, oh, it was the Polar Express. That was the name of the film. Yeah, the Polar Express, based on the beloved children's book, of course. But yeah, the animation was just, you know, it was very, very real, but not quite real enough. And so instead of being able to accept it as sort of a cute animation, it just ended up coming off as downright creepy. All right, this is a roundabout way of, you know, of an analogy getting to the point that there's, there was a suggestion that autonomous cars should be very obviously not just regular cars, that they should look very obviously different. Um, because if you, if you make it look very, very similar to a regular human-driven car, then frankly not seeing a human in the car will be really sort of off-putting and alarming, disconcerting. So if you make an autonomous car look very sort of atypical, um, very obviously not a conventional car, then it's more likely that people will be more accepting of this. Um, you know, you look inside and you don't see um, a human. So I think one really practical way to imagine what I'm on about here is uh, you know, if, you, if you look inside of a car and you see a steering wheel and a conventional sort of dashboard and seats driving along with no human, that's just going to be really weird, right? Just go on YouTube and look for the prank where somebody rolls up to a 
I don't know, McDonald's drive-thru and they're wearing sort of a full body costume that essentially looks like a driver's seat so that, frankly, it looks like there's nobody in the car driving at all. It's a really creepy thing. But if you had a car which looked like, well, frankly, Google's uh, beloved gumdrop cars when they first started testing, um, also apparently they were recognized, as, or they were called koala cars, um, they were just super cute little pods that really didn't look in any way like a conventional car. They didn't have a typical dashboard, certainly no steering wheel. I think these will be a much more sort of disarming way to introduce autonomous cars to the public generally, at least until they're a more socially and practically acceptable thing to have around. So let me know what you think about this um, and uh, we can discuss this further. All right, what the heck? Let me actually do the third segment because I realize it's going to be a quick one. Basically, uh, you may have heard Tesla just announced, I say Tesla, it was just Elon Musk himself actually, late night tweet. Uh, He announced that Tesla is going to roll out version nine of its autopilot system sometime in August. Now, for those of you not keeping count, the current version of autopilot is version eight. And while it's very good indeed, in fact, arguably by far the best semi-autonomous system, which is decidedly not fully autonomous yet. um, Well, version nine is said to roll out with far greater functionality. In fact, quoting Elon Musk, well, he says that with version 9, we will begin to enable full self-driving features. Now, it's not clear exactly what this means. However, this tweet is in response to somebody else, presumably a Tesla owner, who had written, speaking of merging and autopilot, the biggest issue I've noticed is when two lanes merge and that is rush hour traffic. The autopilot is not able to decide to let the car slightly ahead on the neighboring lane go ahead, and I invariably find myself cornered. So um, Elon Musk also had gone on to say that um, until now, uh, autopilot resources have rightly focused entirely on safety. Um, So his point is that going forward from here, it'll move beyond mere safety, if you can say mere safety, um, and more into the realm of sort of competent human-like driving. Um, So, look, this is not really a clear statement as to what level of autonomy this will be. My suspicion is it's still going to be very much within the realm of level three autonomy, while maybe dipping into level four. Uh, But in any event, I do not believe this is going to be the promised level five. Uh, I, I, I do think we're still going to see it around 2020. But for now, let's just kind of uh, wait and see what happens come August with version 9 of Autopilot. If nothing else, it's sure to be a pretty intriguing thing and hopefully bring some much wanted and indeed desired additional functionality to what's already one of the best on the road today. All right, well, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. Um, Sorry for last week, dropping the ball. As promised, I expect to be back to the usual two or occasionally even three episodes per week. Um, As always, my preferred platform for you to subscribe is Apple's iTunes Podcasts. Please be sure to continue to leave your reviews and ratings. I'm very pleased and honored to say that I currently still maintain a solid 5.0. So thank you so much for that. Uh, Of course, remember to share with your friends and colleagues. If you're listening on anchor.fm, remember you can leave me a voicemail. I promise to listen and reply and, if appropriate, to 
publish your voicemail here on a future episode. But um, anyway, until next time, thank you so much for listening. I promise to check back with you Wednesday or Thursday of this week at the latest. Take care. Bye-bye.